Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Jana Panaritis, and you're listening to the AgeWise podcast, where we give you strategies for aging well and wisely. And how do you do that when on top of struggling to meet the demands of your own life, you're also caring for an aging parent or a spouse, or maybe you're caring for another member of your family? Well, we're here to help. Each week, we'll hear from the experts, professionals in the field of aging, and people like you, unsung heroes rising to the occasion of caring for a loved one and finding unexpected rewards along the way. So stick around for some straight talk on aging in all its unpredictable glory. Rick Lauber is a former co-caregiver for both of his aging parents. His mom had Parkinson's disease and leukemia, and his dad had Alzheimer's disease. One way Rick coped with the stress of caregiving was through writing. He's written extensively on elder care, publishing in newspapers, magazines, and digital media, and he's also written two caregiving resource books. Here to talk about all this and more is Rick Lauber, who joins us from Edmonton, Canada. Rick, welcome to the AgeWise podcast. Thank you very much, Janet. It's a pleasure to be here. So for folks who don't know, tell us where exactly is Edmonton and were you born there? No, actually, I'm a former American. I was born in Moscow, Idaho, back in the early 1960s. My parents both got teaching jobs at the University of Alberta, and we moved when I was quite young up to Edmonton, and uh, we're over towards the west side of Canada, not the east side. Okay, so I was going to say, if we're looking at a map, are we looking west or east? And so you're saying we're looking west. We're looking west. Alberta is situated between British Columbia and Saskatchewan. Great. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing. Just a little bit of background. I have two sisters, one older, one younger. So I'm the middle child, Mm -hmm. uh, the only boy. My parents, as I mentioned, they're both uh, university teachers. So our upbringing was quite academic, you know, a lot of focus on education and the benefits of education. Dad liked to read to us from his favorite works. So, you know, we were introduced to Charles Dickens and Farley Mowat, those type of writers. I'd say that we weren't that emotionally close Mm -hmm. as a family. You know, we did do the family vacations together, and all of that was good. However, uh, you know, Mom and Dad were both quite private mm-hmm. uh, with sharing their own feelings, uh, even between each other, hmm. and that became evident as we grew up, and uh, I regretted not being emotionally close to my parents, if that makes sense. Sure. Uh, how old were you when you moved to Canada? I would have been no older than two years old. Oh, okay. So you were raised in Canada. Okay, so it was Exactly. Right, okay. I know that your parents became sick simultaneously. Your mom was diagnosed with Parkinson's at age 68, I think you wrote. But you wrote that the far bigger blow was her leukemia. Explain why. Sure. I'll give you a bit of a background on that. After mom and dad retired from their teaching jobs in Edmonton, they chose to move to sunny Victoria, British Columbia. Um, I don't blame them at all. That's a senior's paradise. For the first number of years they were out there, everything was fine. You know, we kept in touch by phone, email, uh, regular visits, that type of thing. I really didn't think anything serious would happen. 
We knew about Mums Parkinson's before they moved, but it wasn't a huge concern. It was, you know, it was manageable by drugs, so that didn't bother us too much. The bigger blow, as you had stated, was Mums leukemia. That came as a complete shock to us. We ended up hearing about this from a hospital staffer in Victoria, B.C., who um, had admitted Mum, who from what I hear, had literally stumbled to the hospital one day because she was feeling weak and exhausted. And, you know, they tested her, found that her blood count was severely low, seriously low. Hmm. And, uh, you know, the diagnosis was leukemia. She ended up wanting a second opinion, so we ended up bringing her back to Edmonton to see another specialist. And, of course, the diagnosis was exactly the same. So we proceeded from there. I felt like I read that you, they were living on Vancouver Island. Is that I'm geographically challenged? So help me understand that. Were they living on an uh, island? Vic, Vic, Victoria is a is a smaller island south of Vancouver. Okay, okay. So they were on an island. That's um, correct. Okay. And did your dad go with your mom to the hospital? No, actually, he did not. Mum ended up having to leave him at their home, which of course raised some concerns for her because he had early onset Alzheimer's at the time. Okay. Started to get a little more forgetful mm-hmm. and, you know. Better for him not to go, huh? Better for him not to go, exactly, and uh-huh. see more trouble than, than it was worth type thing. Mm-hmm. Well, that was pretty courageous of her to voluntarily check herself into a hospital. She must have been yeah, feeling quite she bad. Was, she was a very brave, very strong, very stubborn uh-huh. woman and <laughs> liked to handle things herself when and where she could. Mm-hmm. I do find seniors very, usually strong-willed, very independent, fiercely independent at times, and they don't want to receive help, especially from their children. They don't want to relinquish that independence, that ability to do things themselves. You know, I think that's one of the hardest things about getting older. Yeah. So when they were living on Vancouver Island, where were you living, and how did that affect your caregiving abilities or your your siblings? It sounds like you were all kind of on the caregiving together. How we, did my Go sisters ahead. and I did work fairly cohesively together as a team. My older sister and I live in Edmonton, and my younger sister lives in Calgary, mm-hmm. which is about three hours south of here. So it's not that far to go. In the beginning, directly after mom was diagnosed and we had to take action quickly, what we actually ended up doing was taking turns as the quote-unquote primary Mm -hmm. caregiver. Mm -hmm. Uh, Therefore, my sisters and I each would take a turn to go out to Victoria and stay with mom and dad to do what had to be done. My younger sister was first, she was the most available. When I went out, I helped sell their home, met with their financial advisor, met with their lawyer. You know, I helped to find a professional mover to actually pack and and move them back to Edmonton. Uh, You know, it was a full-time job while I was there. Yeah. And then, of course, a big part of being there too was reporting back to my sisters mm-hmm. uh you know so we made nightly phone calls and uh nightly wow nightly nightly phone calls made good use of the uh flat rate long distance calling uh-huh. that was available at that time <laughs> uh to simply say this is what happened today this is where mom and dad are and and to discuss what our next steps would be mm-hmm. it sounds so 
positive. I think a lot of times with siblings, one carries more of the burden than another. There's not always a great deal of communication. Sometimes there's communication, but it sounds like you guys were pretty cohesive. What were the hardest parts for you guys in terms of, did you disagree on certain things? Yes, we had our disagreements. I can't deny that. You know, I think everybody, especially children, uh, like to be right about uh, mom and dad's care. Nobody likes to be wrong. So it was tough. We had to vote on a few issues. I think the distance sometimes was a bit of an issue where my younger sister, like I said, wasn't immediately local, living in the same city as my older sister and I. So sometimes I felt like maybe she wasn't contributing as much as either of us were. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there was a bit of resentment there. Resentment with at least me, speaking uh-huh. for me, and I can certainly admit that. But like I said, we were fairly good as a team. And, you know, it's important as a caregiver to have a team, whether it's family, whether it's outside resources, you cannot do this job alone. Yeah. Tell us about moving your folks into an assisted living facility. That was the first stop, as I understand it. What was the turning point? The turning point was after mom got her second diagnosis of leukemia and my sisters and I got together and said, you know, we can provide much better care for them if they move back to Edmonton. Convincing mom and dad of that seemed like a long shot. You know, we're comparing bitterly cold winters of Edmonton to beautiful and scenic and warm Victoria. But we approached them on the idea and amazingly enough, they agreed. I think it was more my mom that agreed mm-hmm. and dad went along with the idea simply because mom's care was paramount at that time. Our first stop back in Edmonton was actually a senior's apartment where they could live fairly independently. Help was available. We had an on-site uh, dining room. A doctor visited on a regular basis. RN was available. But like I said, they were pretty much independent. They could come and go as they pleased. And And how did you uh, happen to choose that facility? It was available. Mom and Dad liked it, liked the area. Actually, one thing I do remember, um, Mom and Dad were uh, somewhat wine connoisseurs, Mm -hmm. and they liked their evening glass of wine at dinner. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it really wasn't much of a problem for them. It didn't lead to any problems of alcoholism or anything like that, but it proved to be a bit of a problem with finding appropriate lodging for them. Uh Uh, There were (laughs) places that, you know, declined them and turned them down. You know, because of really? that, they, they thought it was a problem. So, oh my gosh! You know, yeah, it was just a small thing, or it seemed like a small thing. That, uh, but it's a deal breaker. It was, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, but it turned out to be a very good building uh, for the time that they needed it. So yeah. How many facilities did you look at? Did you go online? Tell me, tell us about that process. We pretty much drove around and visited facilities. That's the best way to get the best idea of what they have to offer. We're simply going by knowledge, by what's what's available for seniors mm-hmm. at this level. So yeah, it was just uh, go to visit them. They were always happy to see us and tour us around and, and answer questions. Did anything take you by surprise? I was surprised about the issue with the nightly glasses of wine, uh-huh. <laughs> um, as, I, as I mentioned. I don't know if I was really surprised by anything else with their first home. Mm-hmm. So how long were they there? And, and how long ago are we talking about now? When, when was this? We're talking a good number of years, actually. Uh, Mum passed away in 
2000 and dad died in 2004. Mm -hmm. They were there probably about 1998, Mm -hmm. 2000. Okay. So how long were they there? Give us a little sense of what happened after that first facility and how things progressed from there. I would say mom and dad were at the first facility, I'd say probably at least a year. It worked out fairly well because it was it was spacious it was you know mom and dad liked the liked the building liked their neighbors much of their time there was simply spent or involved us taking a mom into the local hospital or a local hospital for blood transfusion to up her uh, blood count that was on a weekly basis or if we could stretch it to two weeks you know that always proved to be a bit of a challenge because we had to do something with dad we couldn't just leave him back at home mm-hmm. to fend for himself because mm-hmm. he would not understand he would probably become anxious try mm-hmm. to try to look for mom and you know no matter how many times we would tell him that we're simply going to the hospital for the day he wouldn't remember so how did you handle that coordination uh-huh. <laughs> scheduling coordination uh, my older sister and i we would uh spill each other off one of us would take mom to the hospital for the day one of us would take dad and, and occupy him for the day whether it was walking around or taking him to a museum or going to a coffee shop or, or whatever uh, you know there was always something to do with dad uh, but yeah he that's the way we did it mm-hmm. and how did all this affect your personal life i mean this was 15 years or so ago and you're what in your 50s now so yes you would have been early marriage or not marriage or whatever how did this affect you personally because as we all know it really affects our lives it does um wasn't married, wasn't attached at that time, so maybe that was fortunate. I do recall becoming more of more of a hermit because you know I thought that I was the only one in this boat uh, dealing with the problems that I was dealing with. Nobody else would understand. You know, perhaps I was a little embarrassed to talk mm-hmm. about what I was going through and admitting that my parents were ill. So yeah, I I struggled with that and I kept a lot inside of me too Mm -hmm. with my frustrations, uh, which certainly didn't help. The better way to deal with all of that is to let it out. Otherwise, you just, it's like a cork on a champagne bottle. It tends to pop at the most inopportune time. And I realized that. So I did find that self-care was very beneficial and very effective. Taking caregiving breaks and looking after myself was a good answer. It's so interesting how even though we know we need to take care of ourselves, we often resist it or just ignore the reality that we need self-care. Very, very true. I, I think that's one of the most common issues that caregivers face is not recognizing or not admitting that the self-care is vitally important. You know, when you become a caregiver, I think you focus much of your time, attention, even finances on a loved one, on a loved one's care. Mm -hmm. And rightly so, that parent is important, obviously. However, there are two people involved in this. And you you cannot continue to function to the peak of your ability without taking care of yourself. And that means doing something you enjoy, spending time away, trying not to think about mom or dad or mom or dad's condition. It can be remarkably rewarding to step away for a while. I'll say. Did you suffer any financial repercussions? Yes, I did. 
I ended up working, I reduced my full-time hours at the job, at my job at the time, to part-time. That helped me, obviously, with increasing my scheduling flexibility mm-hmm. for caregiving responsibilities. However, obviously, my income was reduced. But that was that was the choice I made at the time. And, and you know, I felt and I continue to feel that mom and, da- mom and dad's care was, pri- was a priority. Mm-hmm. Now, your mom passed away sooner than your dad. Your dad had Alzheimer's, which you characterized in terms of losing a parent twice, which was such a moving, amazing way to put it. Um, How did you care for your dad in his later years, and how was this new for you? My sisters and I ended up moving dad twice after mom died based on need. There was a smaller facility strictly for dementia patients that looked very much like a home. And, you know, that was his first stop after mom died. We couldn't obviously leave him where he was. And then when he outgrew that, that is when we uh, we found him a secured unit at a long-term care facility. And, and that's where he remained until he passed away. I read that you last saw your father in June of 2004. Can you tell us a little bit about what you remember about your last visit with your dad? Sure. It was, you know, it was a regular Sunday. It, Sundays were my regular day to visit dad. You know, I visited him throughout the week as well, when, when and where I could. But Sundays, I was there religiously. And my older sister, anyway, and her two children would come, and we'd often order in, uh, you know, pizza or Chinese uh, food for, for dinner and just have, like, a, basically a picnic dinner with Dad. It was a good visit. I know it was a good dinner. Um, I didn't sense anything would be uh, different. We took him back upstairs afterwards. I had him good night. And the next night, uh, in fact, 9 o'clock, I still remember well, my phone rang. And it was the nurse from Dad's care home, and uh, she said we were just putting your your father to bed. It looks like he had a stroke, and you know, so it was mm. it was shocking. It was uh, you know, I was I was absolutely uh, taken aback. You know, I just seen Dad alive and well 24 hours earlier, mm-hmm. and so it really threw me for a loop. Mm-hmm. You wrote that you got a call from someone named Brenda who said your dad quote succumbed. Yes, succumbed was was her word. It's a very it's a very medical term. Yeah, yeah, um, they use all these medical terms, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> they do. I but mean, but I it's think. in contrast to the very genuine care. I think they a lot of folks who work in the business, as it were, feel towards their patients. So it's kind of weird, you know. They've got this terminology, but hearts of gold in most cases, I think. Yeah, I don't know if the word succumbed is any easier to accept than the term passed away or died. It's a good point. But it's what they used, and, you know, I you know, I knew what she meant immediately, so. Uh-huh. One of the things that you wrote about in the Successful Caregiver's Guide is that men and women care differently. How do you think you cared differently than your sisters? You're absolutely right. Men and women do care differently. I think that's due to their their you know their characteristics and uh, how they respond to different situations, pressure situations. For me, I think I was more task oriented. You know, I was granted joint signing authority on the bank account, so I ended up paying their monthly bills on a continued basis, help manage their investments. I drove mom and dad to doctor's appointments on a regular basis, uh, helped them move you know, repeatedly ran errands for him, picked up uh, medications, that type of thing, you know, anything that had to be done. My older sister, she was more involved, I think, with the paperwork. 
side of things. And then my younger sister, for the most part, she provided support from a distance. She was the ear, and, and we could talk and when and where we needed to. So, yeah, women are the stereotypical caregivers. They seem to be assigned that role. Naturally, the oldest daughter usually, or the wife, usually becomes the caregiver. You know, it doesn't mean that men can't provide good care or, or don't provide good care as well. It's just we provide care in a different way. It sounds like you were doing a lot for someone who had two sisters in the mix. Yeah, I mean, we all did a lot. And I think we all did what we could and we were comfortable with doing. Mm -hmm. I think it's important, you know, not to weigh somebody down with a task that they're not willing to do or they're not capable of doing. You just get a resistant caregiver and that doesn't help anybody. So, yeah, everybody has their strengths. Everybody has their weaknesses. So why not work on those strengths and appreciate those weaknesses and, and use everybody in the best way they can be used? Mm-hmm. Did your parents share their, any of their emotions with you? Your dad obviously was in a cognitive state that was perhaps made that difficult. But And you, sp you said earlier that you weren't a terribly emotional family, but you went through so much, all of you. Yeah. No, I, I don't think so. Mom remained strong until the end. You know, I didn't see her break down and cry or even really talk to us, you know, about what she was feeling. Hmm. Um, what she was experiencing. Mm -hmm. It was, how would they say it? It was just... Stiff upper lip Canadian? Basically, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like it was, <laughs> uh, continue to do what had to be done, uh, put your best foot forward and, and uh, you know, carry on. Yeah. Rick, can you share a bit about your experience of clearing out your dad's room at the care facility and what was hard about it? Sure. That request came very soon after dad succumbed. His body obviously had to be removed very quickly and uh, we had to deal with that. You know, actually the same night, you know, there was no... Same night? Same night. There was no storage facility, uh, you know, at the care home. So hmm. that needed to be done immediately. With his room, due to waiting lists, there was somebody else, you know, on the list ready to move into Dad's available room. So mm -hmm. essentially, we had about a week to clear it out. And in the beginning, I I resented that greatly, mm -hmm. uh, you know, because I didn't feel I was ready to get in there and start cleaning up my dad's belongings and, and going through those memories again mm -hmm. so soon and, and when they were so fresh. You know, however... It needed to be done. And thinking back, I think it was probably better to deal with it sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. uh, the more you put off a decision or the more you put something off, the more difficult it can become. So we got that done and it wasn't easy, but, uh, you know. Mm -hmm. How do you think you changed through your caregiving experience? I became closer with my parents. I, I think I grew to better understand their characters. I think I certainly grew stronger myself and, and learned to recognize my own you know, abilities and my own strengths, what I could do and what I was capable of doing. You know, I think I became better organized over the, over the process of caring for mom and dad. I think I even bonded with my two sisters more than I, more than I had before, too. That's great. So you've written two books, one called Caregiver's Guide for Canadians, and this later book, uh, The Successful Caregiver's Guide, which you wrote is not a, quote, typical self-help book. What is a typical self-help book in your mind, and how does this book differ, the later one? 
I think a typical self-help book is how to do something. Coincidentally, Self Council Press, my publisher, they had published a number of self-help books in the past on how to start a business, how to write a successful business letter, how to do this, how to do that. So when it came to caregiving, this was new for them as well, but they, they recognized the need for information of this type and the demand for information of this type, in fact. So it, it worked out very well. The books actually stemmed from a lot of my writing when mom and dad were still alive. You know, I used writing as a coping mechanism. It proved to be extremely valuable for me to vent on paper and to share. I could publish that or I could keep that quiet depending on what I wanted to do. But what I wrote during those final months served as a platform basically to write my book. So it's grounded more in terms of your actual experience than a sort of, here's how you do this, here's how you do that. It's a combination of both. In both my books, I begin with sharing my caregiving story because I think that's important that readers can can understand my background and and relate to my background and, and appreciate the background. But, you know, in both books, I do also discuss issues, what caregivers can expect, where they can find help and, and provide resources. Mm-hmm. And the second book is geared more toward Americans. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. I also liked, also found this really interesting. You wrote, quote, it's interesting and somewhat unsettling that while the term caregiving is now more widely used, the term is largely misunderstood. Why is this? I'm not exactly sure why caregiving is is misunderstood. You know, I think it's got maybe something to do with people don't want to talk about what's happening mm-hmm. uh, or they don't want to face the future. As I mentioned earlier, I, you know, when I was a caregiver, I kept quiet about it, thinking that nobody would understand or nobody would be able to sympathize or, or help me. And, and perhaps it was my obligation to care for mom and dad completely by myself. It's tragic that it is an ignored subject because in both our countries, we have an aging population and that fact is not slowing down at all. And as seniors age, you know, more family members will be stepping in to provide care. So it's necessary. Caregiving really does force you to examine yourself or not. You can go through your entire life not evaluating yourself, just, you know, living your life and not really kind of being reflective. And a lot of people go through life that way, I think. But I do think caregiving forces you if you want to get through it, to self-evaluate. You can go through life with your head in your sand like a, like an ostrich would, um, or, you know, like you say, you can self-evaluate and, and grow. Caregiving is an eye-opening experience. Uh, <laughs> That's putting and, it mildly. Yeah, and really can change you for the better or for the worse, or for a little bit of both. So... Yeah. In your books, you also talk about finding joy and caregiving. I think probably most people listening to this show and most caregivers feel joy and misery at the same time, often. How did you find those moments of joy? And did you cry? I think, I think the joys of caregiving are often overlooked. People tend to, and society tends to focus more on the negatives of caregiving, the challenges, the stresses, the oh my God, how can you, how, you know, how can you function on a day-to-day basis? But there are joys. You can learn about yourself. You can learn about your parents. You can bond with your siblings. You can grow 
personally, uh, you can become more self-confident, uh, a number of things. One story I remember, I well remember, uh, you know, when I was visiting mom in Victoria, you know, we were just in their living room and she lost her balance and fell and, you know, ended up falling onto the floor. And because she was so weak, she didn't have the strength to get up. So she was lying on her back, uh, you know, helplessly weaving her arms and legs in the air, looked like an overturned turtle. And, you know, I was worried. I was concerned initially and and I rushed to her to try to help. And she ended up laughing and, uh, you know, I realized everything was fine. And and we we ended up having a great laugh about it. So, you know, that was one of the unexpected joys of caregiving as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you recall any moments where you actually just broke down and cried? What was hard for you? There were two times that were, uh, well, let's say three times, uh, four times, uh, that were that were very hard. Obviously, when my parents both died, mm-hmm. that was immensely difficult for me. When we moved Dad into his secured unit in long-term care, that was very difficult for me because I realized that that was his last stop Mm -hmm. and there was no coming back. And I think the final time that comes to mind is when he forgot who I was, the day that he asked who I was. Hmm. And it isn't just the first time I was asked that question either. Getting asked the same thing repeatedly, uh, whether it's who you are or what day of the week it is or, you know, why are you here? So, yeah, it's having somebody that you know and love stolen from you is probably the hardest thing you can ever expect to go through. Yeah. Did you get any uh, therapy or did you go to a support group? I went to a support group after. This was a bereavement group after mom and dad had died, Mm -hmm. shortly after dad had died. That was a, it was a small group, but being with others who had experienced recent losses was extremely therapeutic for me. Being able to share in that environment was definitely helpful. Mm-hmm. Did you think about doing that when you were actually caring for your parents? Probably not, because I don't think I would have thought I would have had the time or maybe I didn't think it was needed. Mm-hmm. Self-care. Self-care, <laughs> stiff up our lip. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you don't have a lot of time. And I know that's a really lame excuse, but the reality is with everything that you've got going on in your life, in addition to caring for someone, it's really hard to find the time. It is. Caregiving can be the equivalent of a second full-time job. 25 to 30 hours a week additional to your 40-hour work week is not uncommon. You also add to that mix your own family. Dealing with that, you know, sleeping. A person has to sleep eight hours per day. So there doesn't leave a lot of extra time for you. And caregivers end up having to balance and juggle and steal time from other areas, get up earlier, stay up later to get jobs done. And, you know, that's not the best way to function all the time. You can do it for a certain amount of time, but you will end up breaking. Yeah. Well, at the risk of asking a cliched question, Why did you write these books? Not a cliched question at all. I wrote the book partially as therapy for me because I had unresolved luggage that I had to deal with. So that helped me immensely deal with that. I also wrote the books to help other prospective new and current caregivers. You know, I realized that caregiving is and remains a growing issue in both our countries and I don't think resources are that easy to access. So I wanted to write a book as a tool for caregivers to Mm -hmm. to try to 
help them understand and deal with what they had to deal with on a better basis. Did you find that you took a really different approach in writing the book for the American audience that you took for the Canadian audience? You know, I had to obviously Americanize the second book with talking about different locations and, you know, states versus provinces and correct all the spelling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, spellings are different between our two countries as well. With both books, I kept more general than specific. You know, I didn't necessarily want to dwell too much on the current healthcare system. While I did talk about Obamacare in my second book, that is almost outdated by now. You yeah. know, and I don't know what Donald Trump has in mind for health care. It's unfortunate, but Obamacare will not be part of the picture, I'm sure, you know, replaced by Trump care or something else. But in the meantime, you know, that particular chapter and section of my book is unfortunately outdated. So, you know, when I kept uh, things a little more general, it, it's far easier. It's not as time sensitive. So give us your top five tips for caregivers. Read books, consider seniors associations, day programs, hire additional help when you need it. You know, don't go through it alone. Prepare as much as possible. Don't think you're going to be immune. You know, people do age, people do get sick. Health problems do occur. So know what to expect to the best of your ability. Ensure will is in place and is current. That may be needed to be updated. Practice self-care, we talked about that. Mm-hmm. Did you or your sisters ever think about your parents moving in with you? Not really. I don't think that was in the cards. For a very brief period of time, when mom and dad came back from Victoria to Edmonton for mom's second diagnosis, they did live with my older sister. That was cramped, you know, because she had two kids, mm-hmm. and it wasn't ideal, and it wouldn't have been ideal. I I think when aging parents and caregivers, family members live together, it results in more stress for the family members. In my case, dealing with Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's patients are known to wander throughout the day and the evening. They're also known to, you know, not be able to differentiate between day and evening. Mm -hmm. So they can be up at three o'clock in the morning, wandering around the house and, you know, you're trying to sleep. So I think it can be far better for, you know, caregivers to find an appropriate facility for mom and dad and pass the care over to professionals who know better than, than they do, I think. Mm-hmm. I think each situation is different. There's really no one-size-fits-all, and it depends sure. on what your parents are grappling with. Is there anything that you wish you'd done differently? Probably get to know my parents on a more personal level when they were younger, when I was younger. We didn't necessarily do a lot of talking you know, when I was younger, and because of that, I don't, I don't know my parents' history. And, uh, you know, I do regret that because that's my history as well. And unfortunately, that's lost. Hmm. Well, maybe you can get some of it back through photos and talking to other folks. I hope so. I hope so. I've been able to talk a bit with my sisters and, and share some memories. And I think through what I've written and continue to write, you know, I record those memories as well. Mm-hmm. They're there. So it's not all lost. Well, Rick, I want to offer you the opportunity to offer any last thoughts. I'd like to also say, like, visit your loved one as often as possible and, and keep him or her active. Without that visitation, without that connection, that social connection, I think a person in long-term care will, will decline faster. So visit mom or dad, keep them engaged, walk with them, read with them, show them family photos of 
vacation pass, ask them about their own family histories, whatever it takes, you know, just be with them. Rick Lauber, he's the author of two books, Caregiver's Guide for Canadians and his later book, The Successful Caregiver's Guide, which includes a download kit with all kinds of handy worksheets for caregivers. We'll have a link on the AgeWise website to Rick's website where you can explore his writing on caregiving and get tons of practical advice on how to care for the elders in your life. Rick, thanks so much for being on the show and thanks for writing these wonderful books. I, I can see they're very, very useful. Thank you very much for the invitation. It was a pleasure to join you. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. In the meantime, if you like this show, please tell your friends and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review. Rate us. The AgeWise podcast is distributed nationally on the Speak Up Talk radio network, the 24-7 streaming and on-demand network that's always on for you. I'm Jana Panaritis. See you next time. And remember, every caregiver has a story. I want to hear yours.